Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Teacher Tales. Today, my guest is Sherry. Sherry, all the way from Delaware, but I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are. Okay. I, I usually like to introduce myself as a Jersey girl living in a Delaware world. I started my career as a Spanish teacher, taught middle school and high school initially. I moved to uh, become a district supervisor. At first, I was a district supervisor for, <clears throat> for fine arts and for world languages. Uh, but after about 10 years, they discovered I couldn't carry a tune in a, in a suitcase and I couldn't draw a straight line without a ruler. So I became just a supervisor for world languages. That's kind of a little bit of exaggeration of how I ended up there. It was they want, they expanded the program and they needed, they needed two different supervisors. Uh, but after doing that for a number of years, I had the opportunity to work at the state level where I was the uh, coordinator for world languages, gifted and talented and international education. And I like to tell people that that's the only time in my life that I was, that I was uh, labeled as gifted and talented. Um, about six years ago, I retired, entre comillas, and now I just do consulting work um, because I knew I wasn't ready to just throw in the towel and that I felt like I still had something to offer to the field. Very good. And I, I agree. And I'm sure you have left a legacy behind you in everything that you have done and where you've been. So that happens a lot. A lot of people don't understand in education, teachers sometimes are asked to, I know when you, you do interviews, sometimes they're like, well, what can you coach? You know, like, <laughs> and then and I'm like, I don't coach anything. Can you coach tennis? We'll hire you if you coach tennis. And so also the same thing with subject areas. I got certified math because I went back to my old high school and uh, there was a Spanish teacher opening, but not enough classes. And they said, if you get your math certification, we'll hire you. So then I went and got certified in math, you know, so I got to wear more hats and I didn't like teaching math and would quite often hide that because I didn't want to teach math. So what was that like when you were asked to be a supervisor over fine arts and also world languages? And like, what were some of the, the struggles that you had with that or the challenges? So I think the biggest challenge was not knowing what I was going to see when I went into, into, a, into a fine arts classroom. And so, you know, this, the scuttlebutt around the schools, I, I knew who the um, strong teachers were in music and in 
art, or at least I thought I did at any rate. And so I said, you know what, those are the classes I'm going to go observe first because I want to see what good teaching looks like in fine arts. And I have to tell you, I was very nervous about that when I first started, but I chose a specific chorus teacher to go observe and a specific art teacher to go observe. And to my surprise, or maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, is I said, okay, look, they start the class with a warm up, then they do a little instruction. Then they do a little modeling. Then they let the students um, work and perform on their own. You know what? It's not that, di that much different from, uh, from, from world languages. Good teaching is good teaching. I also remember meeting the, the art teacher who I was going to observe in, 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 in the hallway one day and she took me aside. She goes, Sherry, I have to tell you something about, about us fine arts people. We're a little different. And I said to her, you know what? So are we world language teachers. So we should be able to get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know we are a little different. I used to have um, administrators that wouldn't even come down the, you know, the world languages hallway. They were like, you do some crazy things down there. We're kind of afraid to come down there because <laughs> we would do singing, you know, like in music class or dancing or uh, sometimes cooking and lots of different things. And it's just not normal in some of your other classrooms to have all those kinds of activities going on. Well, I, I taught next door to a math teacher who was a very, um, very strict math teacher. And one day we were doing a relay race where students had to get up and go to the board and then come back. And, and there was a lot of noise, but it was good productive noise. And he came to my classroom, he knocked on the door. He said, Sherry, is everything okay in there? And I was like, yeah, we're, we're fine. It's, it's, it's organized chaos. It's not chaos. It's organized chaos. <laughs> I love your point about good teaching being good teaching, though. And I think that's teachers that, that get it and, and are good teachers and know and kind of are in tune to taking that input and figuring things out along the way and being open and not thinking that they have every single answer and every single step along the way. And I think that's part of the problem with the prescriptive lessons now is that teachers are like, this is, this, this looks good, you know, but it's not exactly the way I would do it. And it doesn't have my personality in it. Some teachers are okay with singing. Some teachers are not okay with singing. The same thing with, you know, your personality and the way you might deliver the content and I think everybody has to bring their own spin and their own personality to their teaching um, and, and the students in their classroom they're facing, because that's a whole other, you know, energy combination as well. Because a lot of times we play off the kids that are in the class mm -hmm. and we know that with certain classes and certain students, we can have a certain interaction or rapport and with other classes, maybe not. At the beginning of the year, what I would do is like a, a personality survey and a learning style survey. And I used all of that data instead to figure out like what we were going to do for the day. Were we going to sing or was this class not so much into singing or, you know, and then the personality types. One thing I did find that kids really loved and is like a human trait that everybody enjoys is humor. And you are 
a master with humor. You are, you are so funny and you are, um, you make everyone feel very comfortable. And also you're a master storyteller. Kids love stories, especially stories about teachers own personal lives and stuff like that and making those connections. Cause then they see their teacher as a human being, you know, and it's a little less shocking when they see you in the grocery store and they say, Oh, you eat food, you know, you're out in the grocery store. So how did, how did you use humor in the classroom? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say I'm thinking back to one situation when this was totally not intended to be funny, but it turned out to be funny. I was, do, I was teaching, teaching uh, words related to family. And so I was using my great artistic talents to draw pictures on the blackboard and talk about my family. And so I drew a picture of my, of my sister and her hair was kind of like all wild and crazy. And I drew a picture of my dog and my dog, he was, he was a mix at the time, a mixed Akita Labrador. So he had crazy ears, one up, one down and his tail went crazy. And my student said to me, Senora, that's not what your sister looks like really. And there's no way your dog looks like that. So the next day I brought pictures in, you know, rather than showing them what I had drawn and they were laughing hysterically. They said, wow, your sister really did look like that. <laughs> so, so that, you know, that was, uh, that was uh, one, one instance, unintended humor that, that went that way. Um, another situation I'm thinking about, my students always saw me as a rule follower. If there were rules in, this, in the school, I followed them. And so one day I had this group of, of, Span of Spanish three students and they came into class, it was a beautiful day and my classroom looked over um, a set of bleachers. And I said to him, come on. Of course I did it all in Spanish because I told him not in English. And I told him, we're gonna go outside today and we're gonna have, we're gonna have a Nietzsche lesson outside. And one of the students said to me, oh my gosh, I can't believe Senora's breaking a school rule. She's just going outside and taking us out there. Um, and I said, well, I hate to break it to you, but I did ask permission ahead of time. <laughs> So had had to had to remain true to uh, to to what what I what I would do. Um, other instances of humor. Again, here's an unintended uh, unintended um, humorous situation that came out of a classroom, and it started when I was in college. When I was in college, we had the opportunity to substitute teach if we had 60 college credits. I'm not sure if it was like, if it's like that in Florida, but I got my substitute teaching certificate anyway. And I would sub in any class that they asked me, elementary, middle school, high school. Well, this one class that I got called to sub for was a kindergarten class. And um, I was studying to be a secondary teacher, by the way. And I went to this class and this little boy said to me, he said, uh, Miss, I have to use the bathroom. And in kindergarten, the bathroom's right in the classroom. So I sent him back to use the bathroom. And he came back a few minutes later. And he says, I can't find it. I said, you can't find it. And I pointed it out to him again. He went back and he still said he couldn't find it. So I sent another little boy back with him. And the little boy came back to me and said, well, you know what? He couldn't find it because he had his underwear on backwards. I didn't ask any more questions. But <laughs> at that point in time, I said to myself, 
I know I'm making the right decision by going into teaching for the secondary at the secondary level, because those are kind of the kind of questions that I might not want to deal with in the future. <laughs> I had a I was teaching um, Spanish to uh, kindergarten kids also, and I, you know, had been doing more in the high school level, and you know, even post secondary. And I, I love little kids. And I said, I can do this. You know, I was doing FLESS training and everything with elementary school. So I was doing kindergarten kids and we were doing the color rojo for red. And I tried, you know, typical TPR activity of like, you know, total physical response, you know, point to something you're wearing that is rojo. And I had this one little boy that just jumped up and dropped his pants and then pointed <laughs> to his Spider-Man underwear, which was indeed rojo. So yes, you just yeah, unexpected. Be, um, be careful what you ask for, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, puns, I always loved puns. The kids loved puns in the classroom, you know, and, and using different puns. And they loved Lucy too. I use Lucy a lot to demonstrate uh, you know, funny situations, especially in Spanish, because you could always get mm -hmm. Ricky going off on something and Lucy not understanding when he was explaining something to her and that sort of thing. But it just kind of took the edge off things, you know, and, um, and the kids really like humor. They've got really good senses of humor uh, yes. about things. And uh, I think it lightens things up. And, and I think that we need a lot more of that now a little bit of a lightness in the classroom and everything not so serious. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So I remember had... one time a student said to me, um, came into class and said, can we have a party? I said, you know, we don't have parties in Spanish class. We don't know. But if you want a cultural celebration, I'm all in for a cultural celebration. And this class was thrilled. I said, but there's one one thing that has to happen here, I'm not planning this cultural celebration, the classes, and the class is planning it in Spanish. And I figured that would put the kibosh on everything that the, you know, that that would be the end of it. Well, one student stood up, she took charge, she said, and she started doing the whole thing in Spanish. Okay, when are we going to have it? What are we going to have? What are we going to celebrate? And what is everyone bringing? And she just put everything up on the board. And I said, well, I guess, I guess we are having a cultural celebration now. So the challenge, you know, I, and, and I think what that shows also is it shows the students how they can use their language in a, in a, real, life, in a real life situation. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what I found too is that whatever our choices are in the classroom and however we choose to approach the subject, but also our personalities, again, bringing them into the classroom, we role model for the kids. And so if we're positive and use humor, they tend to reflect that in their behaviors in the classroom. Um, I mean, some of the, when I became a supervisor, some of the teachers that had the worst problems in the classroom were the most strict disciplinarians because they were so rigid and they were so, um, there was a lot of negative feedback to the kids. So the kids would mirror that and give the teachers negative feedback. And sometimes if you hear again, just lighten up and you use humor and um, it, it will 
it will turn the kids around and they'll, you know, do the same thing. One of the schools that I taught in at the end of the year, the seniors, we did senior follies. And that was when I realized how much they were paying attention to every little nuance in my behavior, my words, my intonation, you know, how I would say things, do things. And that's when it reflected back to me how much I did use puns or gestures or, um, you know, just different sense of humor uh, sort of thing. And, and how much dancing sometimes and music and singing that we did in the classroom, but they still learned and they still, they still grew in their language, you know, abilities and stuff, but we just, we had fun doing it. Yeah. 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 I remember I, I, you know, one of the students I had years later, she was um, in college and she was doing substitute teaching. And I happened to see her in, in the hallway one day and we were chatting and she said, one thing I will always remember about your class, you made it fun for us. And at first I was a little upset because she didn't say she, she learned. She said she had fun in the class. I said, you had fun, but did you learn anything? anything? And she goes, oh no, that goes without saying. I did learn, but you made the learning fun. And then I said, okay, I'll take that, com I'll take that compliment. <laughs> and, but I used to tell the students when they would say they were having fun in my class, I would kind of joke around with them. I said, you think I'm doing this for you? I said, I don't want to be bored either. I want to have fun too. <laughs> that is such a great point. Yeah. And, and I think here again, that's a lot of what's going on in the classroom now with teachers being so unhappy not just to mention the pandemic and the virtual teaching and you know, still having state assessments, you know, at the end of the year and the pressure of all that. It's that there's, they've taken the fun out of teaching. The districts and the, the, even the federal, at the federal level are mandating too many things to take the fun out of teaching. That if a teacher is not on a certain lesson plan, on a certain standard, on a certain day at a certain time, they're getting their hand slapped. If they try to do something with a game or something you know, out of the script that the district is handing down for the lesson plan, they're getting their hand slapped. I mean, this is what I'm hearing from different teachers. And you know, I think that's probably true in the tested area. And see, that's one of the things about not being a tested subject in most places that gives language teachers a little bit, a little bit more freedom that's, to make choices and to, to really do what's going to be engaging for students and make a difference for them. Yes, that's, that's a great point to that too is that not a, this, the tested subjects and that's a little bit of a double-edged sword because mm -hmm. I know when in Florida languages became part of the core curriculum that was great because we got more funding we had lower class sizes uh, that sort of thing more attention more support but there were also along with that more expectations more um looking at what we were doing, more scrutiny, uh, and of course, exams, etc. cetera. Um, so it is, it is, you know, a give and take of, in that way. But still, it just, I don't know, it, just, it seems like everybody's so stressed anymore, too, that nobody's really willing to, 
or is able to keep a sense of humor about anything anymore. Everything seems to be so serious and it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, we didn't have end of the year testing last year at the end of the year in the pandemic. And, it, you know, the kids didn't disappear or nobody, you know, had a breakdown or I don't know, everybody's still here and still trying to learn. So it, it wasn't a life or death situation. So I, make light of it, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is sometimes we take it a little too seriously. Yeah. Uh, but why did you become a teacher? So why did I become a teacher? I would say I always loved school. I thought everybody else did too. But when I got into teaching, I found out that wasn't, that wasn't the case. Not everyone was as enamored with school as I was. As a matter of fact, some of the students felt about school what I felt about sports. Um, so I always wanted to be a teacher. I play, I used to play teach. I used to play school in my basement. I remember in second grade, my teacher used to use me as, as a helper because I always finished my work early and she would have me go around and help the other students. Um, until one day, one day she had me helping a student with handwriting and, uh, I've always had difficulty telling my right from my left. And I was helping this student write with the wrong hand and she sent me back to my desk. And I think that was the last time she asked me to help her. But that didn't stop me. I still was interested in becoming a, uh, in, in becoming a teacher until I got to high school. And then I became a little bit of a rebel. My dad was a, was a police officer. And I told him I was going to become a lawyer. And when he would arrest the bad guys, I was going to go defend them in court because the only thing I was interested in was in becoming a defense lawyer. And so my dad was a very smart man. And one of the things he did is he took me to court with him one day to observe a trial. You want to be a lawyer? Okay, let me bring you to court. You can see what it's all about. Well, he picked the perfect case to take me to, 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 uh, to visit because the defendant sat there during, during the court case and he was scribbling and writing things and then holding, holding the paper up and showing the people behind him what he had written or drawn. And I, I don't even remember what was on the paper, but I remember thinking this is very disrespectful. And it became very obvious to me that what he, what he was accused of doing he had done, and all of a sudden, the light went off in my head that said, "I can't defend somebody if I know if I know they're guilty. I better go back to Plan A, which was to become a teacher." And then, when I was in high school, I also had the opportunity to to study in Mexico for for a summer, um, and that is where my love for Spanish really grew. And I decided at that point in time I was going to become a Spanish teacher. So. We're very happy you did. And what do you think is the greatest lesson that you passed on to your students? I would hope that they would say that they developed a love for, for the language. I know that's not true for every single one of them, but I hope the majority of them felt that way and felt that they could use language in, in the future. No, what I was going to say is I remember um, this, this happened within the last six years because it's since I've been living in Delaware, I got a letter in the mail and it was from a former student of mine. And this student had been a student of mine early on in my career. I had a different last name. 
I don't know how he tracked me down, but he tracked me down and sent me this beautiful letter about how much he enjoyed my class. And last year, he and his family went to Spain and his two daughters were, had studied Spanish. So they were using their Spanish. And he said his Spanish started to come back to him. And he wanted to thank me for that because he knew that the lessons he had learned years ago, he could use now even in his adult life. And as an adult, he is a doctor. So I'm sure he can use it in his, in his career as well. But just that experience, I know when I, when I used to interview prospective teachers, one of the questions I always asked my, my prospective teachers was, tell me about a teacher who had an impact on you. And it could either be a positive impact or a negative impact and how you were going to use that in your, in your teaching. And when the teacher would finish, if it was a positive impact, I would say to them, have you ever shared that, that impact with that teacher? And in one case, I remember one teacher quite clearly who said, no, I haven't. And I said, it's not too late to do so. And by the way, I know your former Spanish teacher, even though she was in a, in a, different, in a different district from mine. And I said, I can put you in contact with her. And so I did. And so the teacher reached out. So I think the lesson there is that oftentimes the rewards for teaching are not immediate. We don't see them within the, with, within the time period that we have the students in our class, but oftentimes they come down the road and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, lifelong learning, we're always learning something. And sometimes it's just, it's a little more than a five second delay. It's a little bit later than it kicks in. <laughs> Could but be I, 20 I, years down the line. <laughs> exactly. I'm still learning and I'm old now. So, but I figure the alternative is, is not so good, you know, because when you stop learning, then I figure I'm dead. So yep, I, I don't want exactly. that. But, um, but what a great, um, what a great point about impact. Teachers can have either a positive or they can have a negative impact, um, not intentionally sometimes, but I think we always have to be aware and kind of pause and think about what that impact is going to be on a student because it means everything to them. And I know a lot of times I talk to my daughter about this all the time. That's an elementary school teacher. And that's a whole different world, like you said. And she has kids coming up all the time, telling her things or announcing things to her or sharing something with her that is kind of in the social emotional realm of things. And she can't dismiss it and just tell the kid, go back to your seat. You know, I don't want to hear that right now because we have to get on to math. Sometimes you have to take time and listen to that child share that little bit of sadness or um, concern that they have about something that's going on in their world. And um, so it can be a positive or an, a negative impact, every, every choice that a teacher makes, and it's a huge impact. Uh, so what, um, what would be your advice to a new teacher coming into the classroom now? So my advice to a new teacher is well, there are several things I would, I would tell a new teacher. Number one, give yourself time to learn. You're not going to be a perfect teacher the first day that you walk, that you walk into a classroom. 
Uh, something else I would, I would say is, oh, in response to that about learning is become a member of your professional organization. Find out what offerings are out there and take advantage of, of every learning opportunity that you have. And then also be easy on yourself. Make sure that you find time for yourself. Put your me time aside because you're going to need that me time. Um, something else, uh, a lot of schools now, a lot of states now require uh, teachers to have a mentor. But if you don't have a mentor, seek a mentor out. And when you seek that mentor out, look for somebody who's very positive, who, who sees things from a, very, from a very positive lens. Observe other teachers. Ask them to, to, to open their classroom to you and see what, what, the, what successful teachers are doing in their classroom. And it doesn't necessarily have to be another language teacher. It can be a teacher of any content area. We can all learn from each, each other. And then also know that you can learn from your students. I'm, I think back to when I first started teaching, it was probably my fourth or fifth year of teaching. And I had a student in my class who was struggling. And she was, um, she was a classified student and she wasn't doing well in my class, but she'd come in for extra help. And I would sit and I would talk with her and I would say to her, tell me how you prepare for, prepare for a quiz or for a test. And when she showed me what she would do to prepare for a quiz or test, and it worked for her, I was like, oh my goodness, I would never think to do that. And I don't think that would work for me. I didn't say that out loud. I said that to myself. But I think that was like an aha moment for me that really not every child learns in the same way and at the same rate. And after that, after that experience, what I would do with my classes after we had a quiz or a test, oftentimes I would ask students to share, what did you do to prepare for this? And I would ask specifically the students who had done, you know, either well on the quiz or test or had done better than they had done in the past so that they could share their strategies with other students so they'll learn together. That's a great idea. I mean, that's, we're a community with the kids and with our colleagues and we can learn from each other. We can learn from the kids. We're all, you know, human beings just trying to make it through the day, every day, one step in front of the other. And we always have something to share and that we can, you know, give to other people. Like I'm like a little gift or a little jewel in a treasure box that they can take out and, and uh, use. So when you were at the state level, um, were, what was it like being a state supervisor? So I still always considered myself a teacher, but at that point I became a teacher of teachers, similarly to what I did at the, at the district level, but it was better than being at the district level. And you might say, why is that? Well, because at the state level, I wasn't evaluating teachers. So everything I did was to help teachers get better at their, at their, at their craft and to provide resources for them to do that because, and I'm sure you realize this too, Linda, that when, when you're a district supervisor, you wear several hats. At, in one respect, you're there to evaluate teachers, but then in another respect, you're there to help them get better. And sometimes those two hats conflicted with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's really hard sometimes with the state mandates that are coming down that are tied to funding and tied to, um, 
a lot of times gatekeepers, which might be the superintendent of a school district from the state level, or it might be the principals at schools that maybe had a bad experience with world languages, and they would put up a very strong gate with a big padlock that would be like, nope, not going to talk to her because she may try to convince me to keep that French teacher, or she may try to uh, convince me that, uh, you know, this teacher is not expendable, that sort of thing. So it was, it was a tough position to be in uh, because like you said, you're still always a teacher, but it's, there are things that you have to deal with that don't always have the student's best interest in mind or the teacher's best interest in mind. It's really all about funding or uh, an initiative that someone higher up has that has no clue how that really impacts world languages or your budget or et cetera, et cetera. So, and it can tap into the morale of the whole content area. For example, there was a superintendent that came in. We had had one that was very pro languages had built programs up, started it in elementary schools. And we were like this, it's getting a lot of respect. Languages are getting, you know, prominence in the schools and support. And then we got a superintendent in that had a bad experience. And the first thing he did was cut all of the languages in the elementary schools and tell guidance counselors to put all of the kids into virtual school for languages. And 30% of the teachers were cut. So it, um, and I felt helpless and I was helpless. There wasn't anything I could do. So that's, um, that's the role of the, you know, that's the position of what a state supervisor is in. And sometimes they just don't have any control over certain things. It comes down to the legislators. Well, see, the good thing about where, where I worked at the state level is it wasn't about compliance. It was all about helping teachers and providing resources. So that was definitely a welcome uh, change for, for me mm -hmm. to just be there to be a support to and to provide and to provide resources and then also to to grow leadership within within districts to tap people and and to provide them with um with professional development to help them get better at things and then to turn key as well mm -hmm. yeah that's i eventually learned that and and took that position and let go of the rest because i would just go into the teachers classrooms and say what do you need you want me to grade papers? Do you want me to put up your bulletin board? Because that's what I could do for them. And, uh, and to be a cheerleader, watching a lesson and saying, that's phenomenal. I love it. That's, you know, I love what you're doing. You're so passionate. You're so dedicated. Um, and, and just supporting that way. Like you said, the whole community and reaching out and learning from each other. And if, you know, we have to do that to keep going. So, so you ready for the complete, the fill in the blanks? Oh boy. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. So teaching is. Hard, but rewarding. It sure is. The greatest lesson I learned from teaching is. Patience. 
I'm still working on that, but patience, definitely. Oh, amen. Yes. Kids will try your patience to, you know, the end. So you have to develop it. Plus all the interruptions in class and everything else that just, you know, patience. I love it. The most important thing I want the world to know about teaching is. Teaching is hard. The vast majority of teachers are in it for the right reason. And I'll leave it at that. I think that's good. Yeah, I think every teacher's heart is in it. It's just sometimes it's misinterpreted by others because they have a different agenda. My greatest hope for all children is they have great teachers, teachers who love them and who want to help them grow. That is a great hope for all kids. Well, thank you, Sherry, so much for being on today. And I loved all your stories and I think it'll be uplifting for the teachers. And remember to keep that sense of humor and throw in a pun or two. I used okay. to tell the kids, I'm gonna punish you today. I've got some puns. Sometimes that, I was like a stand-up comedian. I would start the class with some sort of joke. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, that would set the tone for the day. So Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs>